Hello, this is uh, Pastor Todd, Todd Littleton at Snow Hill Baptist Church. Uh, thank you for listening, maybe subscribing to our sermons podcast. Just a quick note about today's. Sometimes uh, technology uh, is, well, it just surprises you. And that's what happened here. A couple things. One, the very front end of uh, this sermon, actually more of an introduction, was cut off. So uh, the reading uh, from Amos 1, 3 through 5 is, is what this uh, message is over. It's actually all the way through to chapter 2, verse 5. So uh, if you want to read, there, there's the passage uh, from which this um, sermon is, is directed or, or, or drawn from. And then, um, for some reason, the first almost half of the audio had a, an, an odd echo, and then suddenly it disappears. So um, maybe we're going to chalk it up to the uh, incredibly cold weather. Uh, if you um, are, are not in Oklahoma, then you don't know that on, by Sunday we had spent, uh, it was, we were working into our second, I think, day of below freezing with wind chills below zero. So maybe that affected the technology. We're not sure. But if you'll bear with it, uh, about midway, it just, it clears up. And so uh, I just wanted to kind of give that note and again, just to say thank you. Thank you for uh, listening. Thank you for uh, subscribing if you do. And remember that um, our uh, worship services are live stream on Snow Hill uh, TV on YouTube. And uh, there's a, well, the same problem there, so you won't, you won't find much relief until about halfway through. Hope you hear a good word from the Lord today. Even those of us who grew up on uh, Westerns, you know, Western shows, whether they were weeklies or movies, whether we were watching The Lone Ranger or John Wayne the Duke, or whether we were taking in the Cartwrights on Ponderosa or we were watching Bonanza, some of us kids really wanted to learn how to shoot a bow and arrow. Now, I remember my first bow and arrow. Now, it, it wasn't a real bow and arrow. It was a, a, a play or a toy bow and arrow. And at the end of these arrows were suction cups. So that way you didn't hurt anybody. And after a couple of times that you ever tried those out, they stuck maybe once, twice in the refrigerator. After that, they didn't stick much at all. I could never get them to stick on my brother Paul. Now I know... Bows and arrows are, you know, more ancient means. I know I, I have seen Indiana Jones. There he is facing down the sword-wielding bad guy, and he's going through all his gyrations in preparation to take on Indy. And Indy just reaches in his pocket, pulls out a gun, looks at it, and then shoots the guy and goes on. I know guns. Guns. They're more efficient, it seems, and maybe more accurate, but it just seemed pretty intriguing to a young guy watching these Westerns how much skill it had to take to be riding on a horse, shooting a bow and arrow, and hitting your target all at the same time. So when I went to Camp Hudson's as a young boy, Royal Ambassador to Camp now by McAllister, and we get to pick and choose the, the particular uh, events or things we wanted to learn, I signed up to shoot to learn to shoot a bow and arrow. 
I mean, how hard could it be, right? I mean, here we are, we're standing there, we're not too far away, maybe even as far as me and, uh, and to Charlotte, and there are hay bales and there are these massive targets. Who could miss the big targets? I mean, there they are, and all you got to do is just pull back that string, hold that arrow tightly, and then let it go in just the right place when you get just enough tension to get the arrow launched as far as it needs to go. I had a problem. My problem was I could pull the string back. I could let go of the arrow, but I was either too high or too low or too wide. I never, I don't think I ever, I was trying to think about it when I was putting this together. I don't think I ever hit the target. Not the bullseye. I don't think I ever hit the target. I might have hit a white piece of paper at the outer limits of that um, target. I don't remember ever hitting my target. The prophet Amos gives us this interesting description beginning in chapter 1, verse 2, really. But we start today in verse 3, and he's going to go all the way into chapter 3. Now, we're not going to do that. That would take us a while to be here. And, and uh, just because it's cold and you don't want to get out doesn't mean you want to sit here all But what we do find in beginning at verse number 3, we, we find um, Amos painting a picture. So for us to get sort of a mental image, kind of get a map in our head. I mean, you know, publishers now are always putting a map in the back of your Bible. But if they had, you could find these places. But I want to kind of draw attention to kind of visually uh, paint a picture of what it might be like if, if Amos were speaking today and we're just simply using the map of Oklahoma. And what we would say is, is Amos started with his words in Miami. And then he moved to Altus. And then he went to Woodward, and he finished in Idabel. And now if you happen to have that map in your head, and you drew a line from Miami to Altus, from Woodward to Idabel, you're going to intersect right about Oklahoma City. That becomes kind of this center bullseye. And then just for just because there's a lot of competition, we might put a dot at Tulsa. So now we've got six targets on our Oklahoma map. And what happened it, it, for Amos, Amos, if to keep our mental picture together, is Amos had some things he needed to say to these surrounding areas. And so, instead of going to those areas, he actually went, if you'll allow the illustration to continue, he actually went over on North Lincoln. And from the capital step, he began to give his judgments on Woodward and Ida Bell and Miami and... Altus, and Tulsa. Now, we won't get to Tulsa and Oklahoma City until next week, but just remember, that's kind of the way it's framed. In his day, he started with Damascus, which was north and east of Israel, and then he moved down to uh, Gaza, or we would know it by David's battle with the giant Philistine, the area of Philistia, and then he went up to Tyre, which was a coastal city northwest of Israel, and then he went down to the southeast, just north of the desert, to Edom and Ammon and Moab. And these became these particular target areas. But Amos didn't go to any of those particular countries and say, let me tell you what's going to happen here. Instead, he went to Israel. So this sheep uh, razor from Tekoa goes from Judah into Israel, 
and he begins to say, here's what God's going to do. And he had a particular formula that he used for three transgressions of, and he named his country, and for four, I will not revoke the punishment. Now, if you're in Israel and you hear Amos has come to town, and you know that he's really not part of the prophet's guild, but he's been given a special word, and you come to listen to him, and he starts to tell you, hey, let me tell you what's going to happen to Damascus. Let me tell you what's going to happen to Gaza. Let me tell you what's going to happen to Tyre. Let me tell you what's going to happen to Edom and Moab and Ammon. You're in Israel going like, oh, it's about time. I, 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 we, we have been troubled by these people for so long. I, I can't believe it's taken this long for God to finally pay attention and take care of them. I mean, isn't that how we would feel, right? I mean, here we are in the metropolitan area of Oklahoma City, and let's just, for example, say we know what's gone around in different places in our state, and, and we're so glad someone's finally pay, paying attention to everything that's being done everywhere else, and we go, oh, finally. I mean, our state would be so much better if these folks would get their act together. And you can imagine that that would have been Israel's response, hearing Amos come to town and say, let me tell you, the word of the Lord has come, and here's what he's telling me is going to happen. And so he announces these six times, these six countries who at one time uh, were actually part of the expanded kingdom of Israel under King David. But after that, and some before that, these particular countries, groups of people, they always sent marauding parties into Israel and caused problems. So if you are reading the history, for instance, um, just prior to um, King David, and you read those stories about the Philistines, they always sent raiding parties into Israel. And they would take, they would take crops, and they would take herds, and they would take people, and they would haul them off, and they would enslave them. And this happened all around us, as if Israel were surrounded by people who always wanted the worst for them. And whether or not they tried to defend themselves or not, whether whatever they tried to do, this was the circumstance to which Amos was uh, appealing to say to Israel, listen, pay attention because uh, God has been telling this people three times, clean your room. But the fourth time when you didn't clean your room, now trouble's coming. And for Amos, the trouble that was going to come to each of these particular groups was going to be that fire was going to come. Now, none of us like fire, except on a cold day like today. We wouldn't mind warming ourselves by a fire, but the kind of fire that was described here is, I will send fire. That's the line. Here, for, uh, for three transgressions, uh, yea, for four, I will not withhold punishment. And here's what the country did. And then here's what's going to happen. I'm going to send fire. I, I imagine, I imagine that many of us hear that and we can't help but think about Elijah. We can't help but think about Elijah and the prophets of Baal, who they had this great contest on the top of, remember where? Mount Carmel. Mount Carmel shows up in verse two. So if you were to stand on Mount Carmel today and you were to look over the, the valley, 
it would be blood and green and promising. But in verse 2 of Amos, it says, the judgment that's going to come. It sounds a lot like fires come because it's going to even wilt the top of the Carmel. So is it, is it going to be a fire? Or is fire a euphemism or a stand-in or a metaphor or a word picture for something else? Well, that's what it is. We're not hearing Amos to say, hey, remember, God can bring fire down and burn up a, a soap, a water soap sacrifice on an altar. What we are hearing is those in that day would have understood that war was coming. That is, the fire of war was going to come to each of these particular countries, and they were all going to be punished. During those times of war, sometimes actually being no longer existent. And so, this is the, the circumstance. These are the circumstances. And if you are like me, thinking, man, if I were living in Israel, and I just heard that war is going to come to all of my enemies, those people who are always causing me trouble, those people who are always causing me problems, I'm so glad it's not coming to us. Then you would approximate, or you would at least have in mind kind of what they're probably thinking, and what you and I think from time to time. There's the German word schadenfreude, which means that we take some guilty pleasure in the reality when something bad happens to someone, we want something bad to happen to so if someone has been kind of, you know, uh, 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 antagonizing us and they just refuse to quit and they won't stop, and we just hope one day they'll get theirs, and then when they get theirs, we kind of sit back and go, man, that's good. I am so glad they got theirs. Well, you, you actually can, can feel uh, what it is to live in a world where it's always them and never us. Always them and never us. Well, Amos is doing something. I thought, well, maybe we should spread this out. and We should kind of deal with each one of these. But listen, when you hear enough doom in one week, you're looking for something else, right? And Amos has been referred to from, by some as the book of doom. And he gets it from right here. He's announcing doom on these six countries. And after a while, we live in such a uh, time and place where everything has to be positive. And if we're not positive enough, then something's wrong with us. I think it really means that we don't want to face kind of the way things really are. And if we could just put a positive spin on it, we could all pretend everything's okay. But it's not. And so here, uh, Amos is, is this, this prophet of, of doom. He's, he's giving these words of judgment to these countries that have been antagonizing Israel for some time. And there is no doubt that Israel's feeling pretty smug. Oh, I can't wait. I cannot wait till I don't have to worry about my northern, northeastern border with Damascus, my northwestern border with Tyre. I don't have to worry about my southwestern border with the Philistines, and I don't have to worry about the south Eden with Edom and Moab and Ham. Oh, can't wait for the day. Peace, peace at last. It's always them and never us. So let's take a look real quick at what really is said about these particular countries. We'll not go into great detail because here's what we find. We find that it sounds a lot like Amos is repeating himself. His theme, uh, his, his common address, 
is really to say that human beings made the image of God choose against the image found in all people. That's, that's his common thread. It is to say that we fail to look at those around us as also people made in the image of God. And we have tried to test and tease out what does it mean to be made in the image of God. And so from the outset, I intentionally read from Genesis 1, let us make humankind in our image. And then Paul tells us, that what is the image of God? Who is the image of God? And Paul says it's Jesus. So we have been made in the image of Jesus. In other words, if we find out what Jesus is like in the Gospels, that's the image in which God aimed and desired to make us in. And there are accompanying features, but that's the target. That's the goal. And often we are shooting long or short or wide. And so here's how Amos puts it. Listen, you people, now these folks in these six countries, they did not have the privilege of particular revelation. What I mean by that is, is they didn't have the Old Testament law. They didn't have all their, all the history that Israel had with Yahweh or Judah had with Yahweh. They, they had, they certainly had their own religious impulses, but they knew enough. They knew enough that they should regard their neighbors in a good way. In fact, I'll, I'll just jump ahead real quick to say it this way. When, when they are accused of, of uh, forgetting or not remembering their brotherly covenant, it really is a way of saying they made agreements with their neighbors to be nice. And they, they chose not to be nice. And so here's how this goes. It, again, this formula for three trespasses and for four. The three trespasses is a formula way of saying, hey, people, you've, you've been, you've been, I've been carrying you along with great mercy. I've, I've really, I've really kind of let you go hoping that you would live into this commitment you've made to be neighborly, to be kind brothers and sisters to those who live across the border. I have, I have borne with you your rebellions and your resistance, all that. And I, and, and, and so it's not, um, let's get our decoder rings out and find out what three things, because they're never mentioned. In each of these six times, it's never said, here are the three things you did. It's simply a way of saying, hey, I've told you, and I've told you, and I've told you. Now this fourth time, that's it. You've gone too far. You didn't clean up your room, which is a terrible analogy, because we're not going to murder our children. Really? No laughter. Okay, I'll remember not to try that. But you, you get the picture. The, the, this is severe. This is severe. The, the words are coming. Are, listen, I've been patient with you to be the kind of people you ought to be. But because of what you've done, we're, we're, it's time. We cannot let this go on. And so even those who had no particular um, history with Israel's God, were, were subject to the reality that they too had been made in God's image. So it wasn't like that. Um, and so really what's happening here is, is unusual. That is, in this era, every tribal group of people had their own God. They named him, they worshipped him. Here, the prophet is reminding everyone that there is only one God. And everyone was subject to that one God whether you, you receive the law, have been 
wired into God's history or not, you still have been made in the image of God and still are called to show that sort of love and respect to your neighbors. So we are hearing this and Israel is overhearing this. Now, if you and I are wise people, if we're discerning people and we hear that judgment is coming to them, surely you would think that somewhere in the back of our minds, we're beginning to wonder if this is going to happen to them, could it happen to us? In other words, if God gets full of the resistance to uh, brotherly kindness and love among those people who aren't privileged to share our history, don't you think at some point, if we're doing the same things, God is going to get our attention? And so the common theme of Amos actually has a long history. It, it has a, a long history of how we deal with our neighbors, our brothers. I mean, we could go back to the death of Abel in that first sibling rivalry. And then right on the heels of that, we learned that there has to be some kind of restraint. There has to be some kind of restraint for um, this tit-for-tat, this eye for an eye. And so the story of Lamech in wires in that we we can't just keep increasing the tit so that the tat will be more intense. I can't do more in my returning an eye than you did to me. I mean, you have to know that in Old Testament law, in the Hebrew Scriptures, the lex talionis, the law of retaliation, only an eye for an eye, wasn't a requirement that you return uh, evil with evil. It was a limitation. We tend to think that, hey, I owe. If you give me, I owe you. Well, no, you don't. You don't owe anybody anything. In other words, that doesn't have to be the way it is. And so the advances that are being made in Israel's ethics are to say, listen, if you always are trying to one-up my retribution, then eventually we're all just going to kill each other and there'll be none of us. And so with Lamech, when uh, he knows the story of Abel, that Abel, vengeance wasn't visited on Abel beyond a particular element, Lamech said, okay, that's how it's going to be for me. Here are these safe cities, and if you you can't come after me, even if I kill somebody, you can't make it worse. And that's the this aim of retribution would increase, and so the cycle of violence would just get more and more and more. By the time we get to Noah, everyone is doing what is right in their own eyes. In other words, those who lived in Noah's day were nihilists before nihilism was cooked. Do what you want to do, whenever you want to, however you want to. And by the time we get to Isaiah, who's kind of a contemporary of Amos, he has described that people choosing against their own best interests means that our human good, our human righteousness, is he describes as filthy rags, and then he summarizes it all like we, all, I'm sorry, all we like sheep have gone astray. Uh, Isaiah is an inclusivist. He uses the word all. 
always like sheep. Israel should have had uh, at least an idea that the words of judgment were going to eventually come to them. But right now, they're pretty happy that it's all on them. When we get to uh, Paul in the New Testament in Romans 1, 2, and 3, Paul is really taking a, 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 from Amos's playbook, if you will, from his book of doom. Because all Paul is doing in Romans 1 and 2, by the time he gets to 3, is all the sin that falls short of the glory of God. We have maligned Paul as though he's just a, um, doesn't have a very popular opinion of human beings. When in reality, he's just assessing appropriately that we've carried on this common theme. We always choose against your own best self-interest, and it always hurts other people. Always harms other people. We choose against our own humanity. Paul is doing nothing any more severe than Amos is doing right here. So when we choose against our own humanity, it shows up in particular habits. And here's where we get the particulars of what's going on with these, these uh, six countries. Hear, hear carefully how they've been listed. They have threshed Gilead with the threshing sledges of iron. They're not sure that his commenters are not sure if this is a, a metaphor, a word picture, or if this is true what they did, they would take wagons, if you will, pulled by horse or some ox maybe, and on the underneath side, they would take iron um, objects and they would line the bottoms of these um, wagons and they would hang off of them to where they would touch the ground. And then when they would defeat their enemies, they would lay them all out on the ground. They would run these wagons across the bodies of those whom, over whom they had been victorious. They've carried into exile entire communities, which is a, a way of saying that they have enslaved or practiced slavery. They did not remember the covenant of kinship. We've addressed that. That is the, 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 the relationship of, of neighbors, of brothers. They, they cast off all pity. They actually worked to maintain their anger perpetually and kept wrath forever. You, you do know you have to really work to fund your anger. That's really what's being said here. These people got angry and they're doing everything they can to keep angry. They have decided anger is their way of being in the world. They've ripped open pregnant women in Gilead in order to enlarge their territory. And it's just a way of saying they've done what they can to keep uh, the people that they have conquered and oppressed from growing in numbers. And they burn to lime the bones of the king of Edom. They think that that may be a reference to using the remains in some sort of weird fertilizer um, bit. And so when we hear these things, our initial response is like, hey, we're not like that. <laughs> that is not us. I mean, don't you know what ancient people are like? And they're tribal people, and, and they've got their own impulses, and they've got their own things. We are so much more domesticated. We're nicer. We're better. We, we've progressed, we say. In short, our mantra is still the same. Uh, that is them, not us. So if, if we interpret these euphemisms and the imagery of the inhumanity described in 
these words of judgment to these six countries. What what we hear them saying is that we participate in cruel means of death and the destruction of the dead. We enslave and traffic human beings. We have a total lack of compassion and empathy toward others. We don't practice anger management. We practice anger mismanagement. And then we try to make sure that those who might, might one day rule over us, don't reproduce. And then everything, all that we do is for our own financial gain. That's the picture that Amos paints. This is what life has been created by those who have committed three trespasses, no for the fourth. And the fourth puts them over the top. They've moved beyond simply not being nice. They've moved to benefit themselves off the calamity and the exploitation of others. We we are on the eve of Martin Luther King Jr. Day. And at the same time, at the same time, we are in a move to revise modern history. It usually runs along two tracks. We need a long history, so we go back and we create a faux history that America is the new Israel of God. Now, you don't hear that language, but in in the 1600s, William Ames left Europe, came to the United States, and he titled his book, An Errand in the Wilderness. And all of his imagery was to say, we will be the new Israel of God. We will do it right. Uh, just You be the judge. Have we done it right? And so hack historians have picked that thread up, and they've tried to read back into our own history that the only thing that really was going on in the formation of our country was we wanted freedom to be a Christian nation. Well, that's only part of the story. That's not the whole story, but we can't make the part of the story the whole story, but, but we do. And I, listen, before you think this is a political rant, know that in the history of Christianity, Christians on every continent have tried to take charge and be the ones who are in charge, creating an environment that's always best for them. So this is not some modern bully pulpit to say, hey, we're getting it wrong. It's to say that we stand in a long history where we have mistakenly thought that God's aim for Christians is to rule the world and not to serve like Jesus did. That's why when we say at the outset that we need Jesus, we need Jesus. So if we want to understand what it is to be human, to be made in the image of God, we have before us God's own revelation of here's what it ought to look like. Here is what we would look like if we were living that way. Now, I'm going to give you a little foreshadowing. You know, you're, you're... we're in a series, and so sometimes in, in you're watching these series on TV, you know, you get a little hint of something to come, but it doesn't get filled out to the next episode. So you'll have to be here next week. Because what happens beginning next week is, is while Amos has targeted these six prevailing or six surrounding, six countries surrounding Israel, Amos uh, doesn't allow for an us versus them. 
that's them and not us, because then he takes after Judah, which is the southern kingdom. That is, if we're talking about Israel being a grand monarchy from north to south, it was once undivided, then it divided, they split. The northern kingdom is Israel, the southern kingdom is Judah, and the very next group that is in Amos's target is eyesight, is Judah, and then he gets to Israel. So if you can at least approximate the sucker punch that's coming, then know that it doesn't do us any good to always be looking and saying, that's them and not us. Because Amos is going to say, that's them and it's us. And so we can't mistakenly think that we from time to time don't lapse into our own inhumanities. And that we fall in line with those who want to tell us that, hey, we should rule the world. We have no success rate. There is no historical success rate when Christians get in charge of any government. Just go back and read human history. The other direction is is we are worried because people are telling us that, well, we're going to be replaced. It's wholly ironic, wholly ironic that the theology of those who are so concerned about us being replaced by either immigrants coming across the border or another group of people that already exist here with us is that in their own theology, they're willing to replace Israel with the church. It's called supersessionism. It's as if to say, hey, you know, Israel doesn't matter anymore. It's God's church. Instead of taking Paul seriously by the time he gets to chapter 9 through 13 in Romans to say, hey, God's going to have a people from both. And Ephesians, he's going to take Jews and Gentiles and make one new humanity, one new people of God. So while we may emphasize the word church, we, we can't escape that God's intent is one people for his possession. There is no replacement but we are worried about being replaced. It's kind of funny that we're worried. So what we'll do in our worry and fear, we'll try to mute the advances of the civil rights movement. Well, we will, um, uh, until, <laughs> until that is, until Martin Scorsese um, puts Flowers of the Blood Moon into movie theaters. And then we find out that in, you know, the last 125 years, not only have, have we, masked and ignored a, 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 a race massacre in Tulsa, but we have not paid attention to the exploitation of Native Americans in Osage County. We can't rewrite history just because it makes us uncomfortable. Instead, our history proves the point that we have a habit of acting inhumanely toward our neighbors. And the exploitation of our neighbors, if Flowers of the Blood Moon, and I get the title right. Excuse me, I'm confused. Okay, okay, there he got it. So you know what movie I'm talking about? It's one that I saw someone pan and say it was pretty boring, and I'm like, oh my goodness, please, you you can't think that way. So here we are, and if it's not enough to startle our self righteousness about uh, trying to amend our history to make us feel better about it. We, we find out that slavery really hadn't gone away. So 
10 years ago in 2014, a friend of mine co-wrote and co-produced a small documentary that didn't make wide circulation called In Plain Sight, chronicling the stories of six uh, people who had been trafficked. And then in 2000, 23 years ago, David Batstone found out that there was some human trafficking going on at a restaurant in his neighborhood and started the Not For Sale campaign, which on which today, I mean today, you know, in this particular time period, there it is believed that almost 49 million people are trafficked. That doesn't, that was 23 years ago. That's been almost 10 years ago, but it takes a box office hit to get us awake from our slumber. So it wasn't until the sound of freedom that anybody goes, oh my goodness, we've got human trafficking going on. Yeah, it's always been going on. It was going on in Amos's day. It never stopped. And just because we passed the civil rights legislation, it never stopped. It's around the world. People are always willing to treat and exploit others for their own financial benefit. You think that we don't participate in that? Well, just remember, we look for outsourced cheap labor. We, we hire children, not much older than Paxton, to work in our uh, chicken houses. Long hours for little pay in horrible, horrible health circumstances. And yet we love our chicken. We, we may not directly participate in the inhumanities, but we benefit from them. And at some point... Our own actions are going to be received and then addressed as for three trespasses and for four. And for four, I will not stop the consequences. Our attempts, our attempts to explain away these inhumanities sounds an awful lot like the young man who went to Jesus, and when he didn't like Jesus' answer, he said, do you remember this? Right before the uh, story of the Samaritan, who is my neighbor? We need Jesus because remember when Jesus telling that story, he tells us who is our neighbor. And if we want to take Jesus' words together, say in Matthew 25 and, and Luke's telling of, the, the, of the, what we call the Good Samaritan, what we conclude is that Jesus is our neighbor and he shows up in all the places that we try to explain away anyone is really human. We need Jesus. Listen, when Christianity becomes about living your best life now, our neighbors will always be ignored and exploited. Because the faith in Jesus Christ is not about you and I living our best life now. It's taking actions so that our neighbors may live theirs. Particularly those who are finding themselves disadvantaged and in grave difficulty. The gospel is good news for all people. And it comes with the promise that our collective inhumanity has been and will ultimately be defeated by the one who is the image of the invisible God. In the most public way, Jesus became one of us so we may become like him. The fire, the fire that consumes is the victory won by the one cursed to hang on a tree whose grave is now empty. The victory over the powers of sin and death is now and forever ours by grace. 
what we long for and hope for is to live in that grace in a particular way that we live out different habits because there is a common reality that all of us have been made in the image of God. And if we are not careful, we will hear the words of Amos as if they are own, because God cannot ignore our fourth. Would you pray with me?